I and it just bothered me that why couldn't I dream freely? Why couldn't I I think about something that has never been done and find a way to do it? And unfortunately for me, I could not see that happening in Ghana. Mm. And so it became my quest and my goal somehow to come to America and and for some reason because of what my dad had told me, <laughs> I always thought America was the place where that could happen. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My next guest is originally from Ghana in West Africa. He first came to the United States as a missionary in Los Angeles, California. After his mission, he graduated with a bachelor's degree in information technology and later obtained an MBA. He and his wife have four kids between the ages of three and 13. He currently works as a senior solutions engineer at Domo. His hobbies include public speaking, writing, entrepreneurship, and most importantly, spending time with his wife and children. I am pleased to introduce Alma Oheni Opari. Alma, are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you. Alma and I met through a, a connection a couple of months ago, and, and he has just been so inspiring to talk to. I've had the chance to talk to him a couple of times, and he is just amazing. And I'm just so thrilled to have him on the podcast today. So Alma, tell me a little bit about growing up in West Africa and how it is that you chased this American dream of be coming here to America and why you did that? Well, uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's a long story, but um, in a nutshell, um, my, my, my journey here kind of started a long, long time ago, long before I set on the plane to get here. And my life in, in Ghana, I would say, for the most part, was was privileged in the, in the sense that I, I grew up in a very stable family. We had everything we needed. Um, there wasn't much that I, I needed that I didn't have. My, my parents were successful. My mom was an entrepreneur. Um, my dad worked in that, at that time for the government. Um, and so for all intents and purposes, I would say, you know, I lived um, a good life um, as a child in, in Ghana. And I, there was never a time where I you know, was hungry, you know, or, or had any want um, that was not met. So in general, I'd say I had a pretty good childhood. And um, I attribute that to the various sacrifices my parents had to make. Because from my perspective, <laughs> we were well to do. I mean, maybe not from their perspective. But, um, and the reason I bring that up is, is that, you know, a lot of times we think about people coming to America as people who, you know, were potentially oppressed in some way where they came from. And that wasn't the case for me. My fascination with America, you know, happened after my dad visited America when I was young um, in 1989. And when my dad came back, he, he brought pictures of places he had visited and all those things just fascinated me and, and stuck with me for a long time. So I, I knew as a child I wanted to come to America. But that desire became more solidified 
as I grew up. And in the one experience I point to um, that really made that difference for me was an experience I had uh, when I was in high school. Um, basically, this experience was um, I wanted to create a pinhole camera. I had a physics book that had uh, step-by-step instructions on how to make a pinhole camera, and I was really excited to do it. And so I got some friends together and we started um, working on this. And the very first thing we recognized was we needed to get all the different materials, all the different um, tools that we needed. And so one of the things we needed was a, ca- um, was a film, a camera film. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking for this camera film. I went all over the Capitol trying to find it. Um, and on the very last day, after three days of searching, I found one photography shop that had this camera film. So I picked up the film, got back to my friends, and we set off to create our first pinhole camera. So we, we built the camera, we followed all the instructions. And then once we we're done, we took some pictures. And the thing that made this experience sour a little bit for me was the fact that after we had done that, um, I was never able to find a place where I could print the pictures. And so I never found out whether what we had done had worked. Oh. And it really bothered me. And I thought I had this dream, this thing, this idea that I wanted to create something, something that nobody else was doing but because of the place where I lived, I could not even tell whether what I had done had worked. Mm. And I wanted so badly to be in a place where I could dream and not have my dreams be subjugated to what that society to, could give me, mm. right? I, and it just bothered me that why couldn't I dream freely? Why couldn't I, I think about something that has never been done and find a way to do it? And unfortunately for me, I could not see that happening in Ghana. Mm. And so it became my quest and my goal somehow to come to America. And, and for some reason, because of what my dad had told me, <laughs> I always thought America was the place where that could happen. After all, all the great things that were happening and being invented in the world, many of them were being invented in America. So I just, you know, gravitated towards this idea that this was the place where I could make the kind of difference that I wanted to make in the world. Wow. That's an amazing idea to plant in the, in the mind of a child. And, and it's amazing how our brain can grab onto something like that and build a dream and build a hope that, okay, I can't get it done here. So I need to change, right? <laughs> something needs I to know. change. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I take nothing away from people in Ghana who are trying to make a difference there. Um, I take nothing away from them. I am not suggesting in any way that you can't make it in Ghana, you know, or you can't succeed Mm -hmm. in Ghana. I'm not saying that. I think my message here is that for me personally, the scope of my imagination was beyond the scope of what I thought was achievable in Ghana. Mm. And it wasn't for lack of trying. It's just that as a society, I felt we had not, gotten to that point, right? We're still dealing with basically feeding ourselves, right? And, mm-hmm. and taking care of the basic needs that people have. And that makes it very difficult to spend any real resources on creating 
a society where people can achieve all their dreams, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not for the lack of trying. It's just that we're not there yet as a society. And I, I wanted to be in a place where I was not limited because of the infrastructural limitations of the country. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about your your journey coming to America. And I know you've 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 lived here for many, many years and finally are able to apply for citizenship. So I'm really excited for you. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the cool things about Alma is uh, he has been working on writing a book that kind of talks about his perspective as an immigrant on becoming an American. And, and so I don't want to spoil anything about your book yet, because I think it's going to be a fantastic book um, in, rekind- in rekindling this, this hope and this dream of what America truly uh, has been and can continue to be if we, if we make the choices to allow it to be what it's always meant to be, right? Exactly. Um, so, wh- so why don't you take me through that? So um, my journey to America was kind of serendipitous, actually, um, because the bottom line is, you know, coming to America is not something you just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to go to America and it just happens, <laughs> right? It, it doesn't True. work that way, at least not in, in Ghana, right? People work their entire lives and they never make it, even if they had the means to. So um, for me, it was serendipitous um, because... Um, when I applied to, to go on a mission, uh, to serve as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of course, I could have been sent to anywhere in the world. Yes. And for most likely, you know, my, my most likely spot was going to be somewhere in Nigeria. Because from my perspective, that was like 90% where people went. Uh-huh. Um, but when I opened that mission call, um, I was very surprised uh, to find out that I was called to to go to Los Angeles, California. And it was quite a revelation to me um, when that happened. And I knew that this was something that was meant to be. Uh, And the reason why was, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, uh, but in in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there's something we call a patriarchal blessing. Okay. And, and a patriarchal blessing sometimes will give you somewhat of a roadmap as to how, you, you know, how your choices in life could lead you to where you know, God intends for you to go. And one of the things that, um, and usually these are kept private, but I, I felt impressed to share this, that one of the things it said in my patriarchal blessing was that I would have the opportunity to visit many lands, many places in the world. And so I'd always knew that you know, it was going to happen at some point, but I didn't know how or when. And so by receiving that mission call, I knew that my destiny was actually in progress at that mm. point. And I was very, very excited um, to, to embrace that call. And one of the things that also made it very interesting was that Los Angeles was exactly the place my dad had gone to in 1989 oh. um, that planted that seed in me. So it was quite a coincidence, you would say, that I would be called exactly to the same area that he had gone to. Yes. And then not only that, that while I was there, I would get to meet some of the people he had met and some of the people who had influenced his life while he was there over you know, 20 years before. Right. So it was, it was quite, 
a magical kind of puzzle all, all coming together that way. But um, that is basically how I got to America. It was through that mission call. So I spent my very first uh, two years in America as a missionary. And what that did for me was that it gave me a perspective of America that I don't believe that a lot of people get. Because I spent two years going from door to door, from neighborhood to neighborhood, from poor neighborhood to rich neighborhood, and truly understood what people were experiencing in their own lives, mm. what their challenges were, the struggles they had to overcome on a day-to-day -day basis, and how many of them overcame those struggles and those challenges, how people were able to overcome in spite of their circumstances. And so that always gave me a, a great appreciation for how transformative a society could be to a person if that society is set up in such a way that it allows that person to explore every facet of their potential. Mm. And so I, I, I would say I got a first row seat to the American experience as I went door to door for two years. And that experience gave me a deep and abiding appreciation for this country and for this society and confirmed in many cases, some of the dreams and the expectations and aspirations I had as a young child thinking about coming to America. Wow. So you think that perhaps one of the things you learned was that that having freedoms allows people to reach their potential, whatever they envision that potential to be. Exactly. Um, and yeah. one, one philosophy I've, I've adopted over the years is that the worst thing you can do to a person is to hide from them their potential, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 and the worst thing you can do beyond that is, is for someone to have a potential and not know it. I, I think it's, it's, it's one of the greatest tragedies that we, we have or we can experience in this life. And, and I believe that America, despite its flaws, you know, despite you know, the history, despite some of the things that um, still exist today, I would say it is still the place where almost anybody can embrace that potential within them and make a difference, not only in their lives, but in the lives of those around them. One of the things I picked up while I was here was this idea of contentment. So if you were to ask me, what is a, a quintessential American characteristic? I would say one of those characteristics is discontent. And I have come to embrace discontent as a virtue. And the reason I say that is this, because it is discomfort and discontent that is the engine for creation and innovation, right? It is discontent that causes a person to wake up and say, I will not take this anymore. I am going to design and build something better. I am going to do something different today than I did yesterday. It is discontent. When you wake up every day being comfortable in your life, you don't have any desire, you don't have any motivation to change anything. Mm. It is only through discontent 
that you can create new things, that you can explore other aspects of your potential that you have not yet explored. And so that was something that I feel is, is very unique about America. But coupled with that discontent is courage, right? This is a society that is uniquely attuned to courage. The belief that I can do it. I don't have to wait for someone to do it. And I can take the risks necessary to make that thing come to be. Ooh, I love that. Right? And, and so a couple discontent with the courage to take action and you have a society that does not get enough of innovating and creating. And so for a child with an imaginative mind who is constantly thinking about how to make things better, it became almost symbiotic for me to be in a place where I could marry that excitement with a society that embraced discontent and embraced the courage to go pursue solving and removing that discontent. Wow. That's really cool. I've never thought about discontent in that way, but it, it is. It, sometimes we feel like, okay, I don't like that. How can I change it? And, and, and it's that idea that we can change that inspires us to act courageously, right? It's that idea exactly. that, that, okay, exactly. yeah, I can make a difference. I can think about this differently or try to problem solve. And it's, it's amazing that you've put those two together. That is, that is really cool. Think about it. Like America is a place where you can think about something in the morning. You can go to Home Depot in the afternoon and by evening <laughs> you can have a prototype made. Like that is America. Yes, it is. It is not the same in other places. And I know people who have dreams, big dreams, um, you know, who, who are stifled at every turn, not because there is some system that is stifling them. It's just that the, the society is not built at, you know, it's not at the level where, everybody's dreams can be given a fair shot, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I think we had a little bit of this conversation before we started recording, but um, you talked about the, that America isn't perfect, (laughs) right? We we talked about how America isn't perfect and, and that's okay, right? But but it does give us the opportunity to have freedom so that we can become, we can pursue these dreams, right? That is true. Um, I think um, in a terrestrial sense, um, we have to admit once and for all that perfection is not compatible with freedom. Because in any scenario where you have freedom, that also means that people have freedom to fail, the freedom to choose to do things that are not in their best interest. And so it should be expected that America is not perfect. Mm -hmm. Anybody who expects America to be perfect is not living in a real world. Because (laughs) if you have freedom, you cannot have perfection, right? Yeah. The only scenario where you can claim any kind of perfection is to eliminate freedom. That is the only scenario where you can create and mold things into uh, a predetermined 
an exact shape. Mm -hmm. And so you can find that any time any group of people have come together anywhere and had in mind the idea to create a perfect society, it always ends up bad because freedom is not compatible with perfection. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think that is something that we need to get over. And, and as an immigrant coming here, most immigrants, I would hope, are not coming here because they believe America is perfect. I think many of us come here because we believe that in spite of imperfection, that we can make choices of our own, and those choices have consequences that can be good for us, and that can lead us towards what we feel is our ambition, our dream, our goal. And many, many thousands of immigrants are able to do that here in America in spite of its imperfections. Mm. Yeah, and I, I really love how, how, you've, how you've laid that out. I, I was thinking about what you said about how it, it's in, freedom is incompatible with perfection. And I, I really think that if if we had somebody like god as a ruler <laughs> it would that they would be more compatible but but being that we are all imperfect people and exactly. that and that sometimes people who get into power um like for example hitler or something like that and they're dreaming of what they view as a perfect society it it limits the freedoms of others you know exactly. and so but but God being perfect, and so I'm just I'm envisioning someday this uh, millennium when Christ will reign on earth, and at that point, freedom <laughs> and and perfection can be hand in hand compatible. Get, exactly. Know? Yeah. And I would agree with that, and and that's why I prefaced that statement by saying in the terrestrial sense, mm. right? Which means in 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 this earthly state. Right. You have yeah. that compatibility. And and if man, you know, made himself God and said, I am going to impose perfection in this terrestrial state, um, it doesn't end up well. No, it doesn't. And so um, <laughs> I, I do understand um, that a time will come, you know, from a Christian perspective, that a time will come when, you know, evil will be defeated. And but one thing that I, I think is is good to note that is that in that world, there is still the freedom for people to choose not to be in that world, sure. right? And so you recognize that in order for that perfection to exist, God will force no person to heaven, yeah. which means that people have to choose not to be there. And that's okay as well, mm -hmm. right? People will yeah. make choices and based on those choices, they will disqualify themselves willingly from being in that world with him. Yeah, it right? is. Yeah. Wow. Okay, we we've kind of dove a little deep there, but um, <laughs> so so let's kind of go go a little back on into your journey, getting to America and achieving this American dream was not an easy process for you and your family, correct? <laughs> Um, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. And I, I would say to myself, I'm not, I, you know, maybe I can consider myself as someone who has achieved the American dream. 
but my ambitions are still bigger than where I am right now. So I'm still on that journey, but yes. it was not, it was not all roses along the path. Definitely not. Wow. Why don't, why don't you take us along that path and tell us how you're able to keep a positive perspective despite the challenges that you were faced with? Um, yeah, definitely. So one of the very first things that I had to deal with uh, as a challenge was that um, I came to, after my mission, I came back to the U.S. as a college student. And if you don't know anything about immigration um, law and, and college students, um, one of the things that college students um, who are studying here in America, um, who are immigrants, are not, we're not allowed um, to work outside of campus. So you, you are only allowed to work on campus. Mm. And, and you're also restricted to 20 hours a week. Because, um, and, and the rationale is that you're here to study, right? Not to work. And so you want a majority of your time to be spent in school rather than working. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I of course understood that. And, and that was my plan. However, you know, there was a wrinkle, a little bit of a wrinkle in my plans when I decided to get married, which was the best decision I ever made. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I went back to Ghana, I got married and my wife and I moved uh, to America. And not long after we moved here, I, we found out that my wife was expecting our first child. Um, this was really good news until we went to the hospital and, and we found that um, she had conceived prior to us actually entering the United States. And so the insurance that I had gotten um, did not cover her because her pregnancy was a pre-existing condition. Oh, no. And so <laughs> that was our first challenge. Yeah. Uh, that was our first challenge. And if you know anything about healthcare costs, um, you understand that there's a lot work, a lot of work that needs to be done in that arena. But that was our challenge. Um, I could only work 20 hours a week. And my wife was actually prevented from working at all. And so, you know, paying for that was quite a challenge for us. However, one of the things that I appreciate America for is also the great generosity of, of good Americans who, who seek opportunities to serve and help and lift up people who need help. And I was lucky to have met people while I served as a missionary who became angels in my life, who at that moment were able to step in and say, I can cover that. I can help you with that. And, wow. and I was very, very appreciative of that. And, and one thing I learned from that is I, I have a scripture um, from the Bible that really resonates with me every time. And it's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And that scripture says, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And so for me, that is the basis of my positivity, right? All things will work together for good. And I know there are trials, but I always like to look at trials in perspective, right? It is important to recognize that trials will not exist forever. We will overcome those trials. And many times as a college student at BYU, our expenses were always more than how much I could make working 20 hours. And yet, if you ask me how I did it, I don't really remember, but somehow we survived, Mm. (laughs) right? That's a miracle. 
It really is. Exactly. You, you look back and you say, I don't know how we did it, really. I don't know how every day, every day's decision was made, but somehow we survived. And I think it's important when we go through trial to take a step back and create a vision of overcoming that trial. Like spend some time. I call that process willful positivity, right? Oh, and that's I it. love that name. It's, it's taking the opportunity to look at your trials in perspective and constructing in your mind a time when that trial is overcome. And then fix, fixing your attention on that destination. And when you do that, that gives you the fuel, the positive fuel that you need to drive you through the trial that you're going through. So, so let me ask you this, because I, I love this concept of what you call willful positivity. So when you have an obstacle that comes in your, in your way, do you then just, do you tell yourself in your mind, there will be a time when I overcome this and then try to imagine how you do it? Or how, what does that process look like for you? So. Um, for me, this is how it works. So first, I assume that, <laughs> my first assumption is that no righteous person will die before their time. <laughs> that, that's my first assumption. Right? Okay, so, I like that. So in that, with that assumption, I understand that any trial that I'm going to face, you know, I'm going to come out on the other end. And if it is such a big trial that I don't make it to the other end, then it was meant to be. And so I'm, I don't spend a lot of energy, you know, worrying about why did this happen to me and so on, because I understand that at some point I'm going to get to the other side, right? Mm. And, and the way I look at it is um, uh, from an experience I had, I had some friends who um, decided to go hike um, a, a mountain here in Utah called Mount Timpanogos. I am not a hiker by any means. And, <laughs> and I've always been the guy who says to people, I don't get it. Why you put yourself in all this pain and suffering just to get up to the top of a mountain. It doesn't make sense to me. But for that day, I don't know what overcame me, but I decided to go with them without any practice, without any training, nothing. And this was going up 11, up to 11,000 feet. Oh my. And I had had no training. I found out, I think on Tuesday and, and the hike was on Friday. So here I was on this path going up the mountain. And I learned a lot on that journey. And I learned a lot about being positive because every single step I took was painful. But then I had to convince myself that every step was taking me closer to something that was more important to me than the pain I was feeling in that moment, mm. right? And of course I had a, another motivation. There was a like a, a 75-year-old woman on that trail as well. I'm like, I'm not going to let her get to the top. <laughs> and I not get to the top, right? But it was a, a serious mental challenge that I had to take each step. And each step I had to ask myself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Is this worth it? Like, am I? nobody's going to know that I did this. Nobody's going to care that I did this. But I had to constantly convince myself that it would teach me a lesson. It would teach me that I can overcome difficult things, that I can wake up and I can, I can persevere and I can set my mind to something difficult and still be able to do it. 
but it's going to be painful along the way, right? And so as I made, I took every step. Um, I realized that I, you know, this was something that I had to dedicate myself to in order to achieve it. But I also learned something. So there were people on the way that thought in our group that thought, hey, let's help the people who are new to this. And so they came up with a plan and the plan was to have a rope, right? And so they said, all you people who are struggling, we're going to give you this rope. And so all you have to do is hold onto the rope and move your legs, right? And we're going to kind of keep you at pace and keep you going. Now, for a little while, I tried to hold on to the rope, but these people were going way too fast and I couldn't keep up. And I felt like I was pulling on the rope and pulling them and holding them back. And I began to feel guilty about that. I said, I don't want to hold you back. I don't want to. And so I had to make a conscious decision to let the rope go and make my own way. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that taught me something as well. That other people, because of their experience, because of their, you know, their position in life, because of, you know, how things turned out for them, they may have it a little easier than you to achieve certain things. And you shouldn't beat yourself up because you can't go at their pace. Mm. You have to find your own rhythm, your own pace, and go according to that pace. And so I left that rope, I left that security, which meant that those people would get to the destination much earlier than I would. Mm-hmm. But that was not the goal. The, it was not a race. It was a goal to conquer my own fears and to conquer my own, um, my own challenges, my own trial. And so I, I let go of the rope and made my way step by step, step by step until I finally got to the top. And I was proud of myself for doing that. And, and I learned from that experience that I had to be willfully positive every step that I took. Positivity didn't come to me by default. It wasn't something that was handed to me by the encouragement of the people around me. Just saying, good job, you can do it, was not what made it possible for me to take that next step. I had to manufacture that positivity every single step I took. I had to speak to myself. I had to say to myself, I can do this and this is worth it to me. And by manufacturing that positivity and looking to the glory of the destination that I was aimed at, I was able to get that motivation to move forward, right? And so there's an African proverb that says, you know, happiness is like a perfume. You have to put it on yourself for others to appreciate it. (laughs) So the same way positivity is like a perfume. It doesn't come to you. You have to put it on yourself every single day in order for you to go out into the world to spread, you know, a good smell, right? To spread the light and and to spread that positivity outward to other people around you. Oh, I love that. That's what an incredible story. And, and, and you did reach the top in your own way and your own pace. And, and I think I love the idea that you realize so quickly that you did not have to compare yourself to everybody else, that you could move at your own pace. And I think that's a lesson it takes a, sometimes a long time to figure out. I don't need to compare. I am, 
I'm competing against myself. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's the goal, right? Um, yeah. The goal is, is to be your best self, to, to achieve your potential, your own potential, not, you know, the world's expectations of you, your yeah. own potential. And when you get there, you know that you have. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Alma, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, would you mind talking to me a little bit more about how you see the American dream being fulfilled in your own life and what you envision America to be for your children in years to come? Yeah, definitely. I'd love to talk about that. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm talking to Alma Oheni Opari, and we've had some really fun conversations this morning about how he has been able to come to America and he sees things from such a unique perspective as an immigrant. So Alma, let's talk a little bit about your book that you're writing and why you are writing this book. Definitely. So um, the book, as you said before, is titled American privilege. And, and the reason why I titled the book as such is because there's a message that I'm trying to convey, especially to my children. Um, I want to, to give them a message that they are incredibly privileged to be in America, but not just privileged to be in America, but also privileged to be American. A privilege in the sense of the, the fundamental principles that undergird this, this particular country. Um, the purpose of the book is to communicate to my children because I feel there is a, a systemic force today that is communicating the exact opposite mm. to people like my children. So as an African person who has four black children, I want them to wake up every day and understand that they have the privilege to choose anything they want in this life, in this country, and they will be able to achieve those things. And that there's nothing systemically standing in their way to make those dreams possible, except their own inaction, their own disbelief, their own choices. Mm. So that is the message I want to convey to my children. And, and I want to, I, I thought, you know, canonizing it in a book would, would make it such that, you know, if I'm not here, they can always refer to it. But in the process, I'm hoping to also help other children 
who are in that same situation, who are being bombarded with messages all across the internet, all across the media from pundits who are saying to them, there is a systemic force that is holding you back and America is not an equitable society and you can do and work hard and make good choices and not make it. Now, I do understand that people have challenges and people have suffered injustices. I understand the history of America I understand racism. I understand um, all the challenges that this country has gone through. Mm -hmm. But I also understand that in spite of that history, in spite of those challenges, that America has always trended towards justice. Mm. America has always trended towards equity. America, I believe, has created no matter what you think, the most equitable society possible, okay? Mm -hmm. And the real tragedy is that there are people who either do not know or have embraced this idea that they can't make it out of that mental block that says this place is not the place where you know, I can find the opportunity to be who I want to be. Okay, so I think that is a pervasive lie that has to be countered, not just spoken about in the in the quiet of the home, because I could have just said, hey, let me just tell, you know, say these to my kids and, and, and have my kids, you know, overcome these so-called challenges and, and go on and do great things in their life. I don't think that's enough. Mm-hmm. It's not enough for my kids to make it. I think it's more important to make sure that this message goes out so that every child who has been told the system is against them, every child who has been told the only way they can make it is to overthrow the system, every child who's been told they should fear walking outside, every child who's been told, you know, the world is going to judge them and and the world is bigoted and the world is going to, to prevent them even if they work hard from reaching their destinations, I want to disrupt that mental chain. I want to disrupt that. And and I hope that my book will be the beginning of that quest in my own life. So I may have achieved what many people may call the American dream, Mm -hmm. but what I want to do, and I think what is most important is not for me to achieve the American dream, but for me to inspire others to recognize that that dream was available to them all along. Oh, I love that. That is so true because I think we were talking about this earlier that sometimes the biggest chains or the biggest prison are the thoughts in our own mind. Exactly. And as a kid, one of the songs that I listened to was um, a song by Bob Marley. which talked about that and and that piece of that song um, has always stuck with me and it's called the emancipation song Mm -hmm. um, or the redemption song and and one of the lyrics uh, part of the lyric says emancipate yourselves from mental slavery none but ourselves can free our minds i'm like Mm -hmm. that is truth in its purest form Mm -hmm. right i believe sincerely that there are challenges in this world, but none so insurmountable than the challenges of a mind that is mentally shackled. Mm. 
Mm. And we need to begin to break those mental shackles. And we need to teach people how to break those mental shackles, right? We need to put in that seed because as soon as, you know, one of the reasons why people did not want, you know, slaves to be educated was because they knew that once you put that spark, that spark into the mind of a person, the spark that tells them you are a child of God and you are created to reach your potential. Once you put that spark in them and they begin to read and they begin to learn, it is impossible to keep an educated populace as slaves. Mm. It is impossible. And so the only way you can keep people subjugated is to keep them uneducated. So subjugation is a a derivative of lack of education. And so if we can begin to educate people, we don't have to do the work. The work happens naturally. Their minds begin to expand. And once those minds begin to expand, the chains that hold those minds um, together begin to break naturally. And people begin to feel free. And by so doing, they discover their potential. And when they discover their potential, they cannot be stopped. They can truly be American. They can live a courageous life that is filled with success and fulfillment. Oh, I love that. Wow. Very, very well said. Um, Let me ask you this. We were talking earlier about what freedom of speech means to you. And I would love to just tack that on to our discussion right now, because I I think this is a a challenge that we're facing, not only in America, but around the world right now. Um, What freedom of speech means to you, Alma, and what you want it to mean for your children. Um, um, Thank you for bringing it up. This has actually become one of my biggest um, concerns as I think about my children. Um, Today, we hear almost every day that someone has either lost their job, you know, lost their livelihood because they said something. And in some cases, people say offensive things. I would not excuse those. But the idea that people should live in a place where they would fear to speak their mind, no matter how uneducated or unenlightened their their you know principles or their um, thoughts or their perspectives may be the idea that you cannot express those perspectives for fear of being destroyed is it's a tragedy hmm. it's a, it's a serious tragedy and for someone um, and I believe that um, if you spoke to a lot of immigrants for for people coming from outside of America this is horrifying to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, prior to recording this podcast, I had to wonder, you know, is there something that is a no-go area, right? Is there something that I shouldn't say? Is there something that could get me in some kind of trouble? And that is sad that we are approaching a place where people are beginning to censor themselves beginning to fear speaking what they truly believe 
because we've created an environment that says human beings cannot endure hearing things that they do not agree with. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And for me, I would say that is not the America I was drawn to. I was actually right. drawn to the opposite. I believe, once again, this idea of discontent, right? If there is something that is not comfortable for you, that you have the ability to speak about it. And it is through, in many cases, it is through speaking about things that we begin to see change, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and throughout the entire um, existence of this country, the greatest change usually started with people saying, I am not content with what is going on. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I'm going to speak about it. And then when I speak about it, I get two or three or four people to join me in speaking about it in order to create a movement. And then that movement ends up driving the change that is necessary. Mm -hmm. So by attacking freedom of speech, what we're doing is literally attacking the vehicle that will drive the change of the future. And we're teaching our children to fear to use that vehicle as a way to drive the change they want to see in the world. So imagine 20 years down the line where all these children have grown up and have been trained not to speak their minds. I believe that it is impossible to create unity through conformity. Mm. It is impossible to create unity through conformity. Just because we conform, just because we use the same words, that is an illusion of unity, not true unity. Unity is the ability to look at things from different perspectives and recognize what is most important and choose the thing that is most important and choose that and let that stand irrespective of the differences that exist. That is unity. Just because we speak the same words does not mean that we are united. And so we are turning basically the United States of America, which was a, you know, a coming together of people with differing views and backgrounds who had to make compromises on what was most important to them. We're turning that into a United States where we just say the same things, but feel differently in private. Mm. That is a false unity that will not lead to the kind of society that we want. So how do we solve this problem, Alma? I mean, how do we, how do we change this trend of, I don't like what you say, so I'm going to cancel it. How do we change that? How do we open it up so that we can all share our opinions and value that everyone has a choice to think and feel as they do? How do we change that? Um, I think it starts with uh, something that I, I, I spoke about when we started this conversation. The idea um, of choosing courage over comfort. Mm. Okay. So this is a, a concept that I heard um, from a woman who is very accomplished, who shared with us her life story and the challenges she had to overcome. And she said, Everywhere she met a roadblock, she had to make a decision to choose courage over comfort. Because a lot of times, the things that you have to do to effect change are not comfortable. And if your goal is to have comfort, 
it becomes impossible for you to have the courage necessary to effect the changes that you want to see. So we need to choose courage over comfort. And what that means is that as individuals, we have to look and say, okay, what in my life can I put in order so that I can go and speak boldly about what I believe to be true? Mm. Okay. Which, mm. mean, which means that we need to begin to start putting our own lives in order because if we are willing to give up our courage in order to have a job, right? If we're willing to give up our willingness to speak the truth because we're afraid we would be fired, then what are we willing to endure when we have lost all our freedoms? Because freedom of speech is the very first step to freedom of mind. Without the ability to speak, you lose the ability to think, you lose the ability to refine your thoughts, and you lose the ability to function as a as a contributing member in society. And so what we need to recognize is you first have to make the changes in your life. And so I have started to look at that in my own life. And I'm saying, okay, if I'm going to start speaking out and speaking out boldly, I may have some consequences come my way. But can I survive those consequences when they do come? And what can I make do in my life right now to ensure that if those consequences come, that I am able to survive, right? And so that means, you know, making sure that you are, you know, financially in a good place, making sure you, you save money and so on, so that if, you know, inadvertently you lose your job along the way because you, you spoke your heart and your mind and, and someone could not endure it, at least you don't put your family in, in that jeopardy. Um, and so that's one of the practical things I would say. First, take care of yourself. Make sure your life is in order. Then you can have the courage to go out and, and speak out. So another thing I would say that is important, our companies also need to back the principles that have made it possible for them to exist in this country. Oh, I love that. You're that right. is really important that our companies back those principles and companies need to begin to wake up and say, I am not going to fire this employee because they said something that has been deemed by people as intolerable in society. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not going to fire. Of course, I understand that, you know, in every case, there are extremes that must be avoided. And sure. as companies, I also understand that they have a responsibility to their you know, stakeholders, shareholders, other employees, and so on. So I do understand that there is room, of course, for, you know, unacceptable behavior that needs to be checked and punished where necessary. However, a lot of the examples we see recently has not been egregious examples of bigotry, for instance, mm -hmm. but even the slightest so-called offenses are now being punished with taking away people's livelihoods. And that is unfortunate. Yes, it and is. One of the things, um, and I've never made this comparison, but it just came to my mind. The Supreme Court in, in the Citizens United case affirmed that corporations could basically have the same right to free speech as individuals. 
because after all, those corporations were being run by individuals. So if individuals have a right to free speech, then those corporations they run, they can steer their earnings or their dollars into whatever speech they found was amenable to you know, their values. Right. Now, if that is the case, right, if that is the case, that you know, corporations can go out and speak out and, and contribute to whatever causes they felt inspired to, then I would say that it also follows that they should be willing to up, uphold those same values or those same rights for their employees. Mm. And, and so I think when I say choose courage over comfort, I think that should also apply to businesses. Choose courage over comfort. Make sure your business is solid in such a way that when the boycotts come, you're able to stand. Because if we don't push back, we will be pushed over. Mm. And the bottom line is that the people who are pushing are very naive because they don't realize that if you push everybody down, all that happens is that you will be the last person to be pushed down. It doesn't save you from, from the wrath that comes, right? Yeah. It just, mean, it just may mean that your reckoning is postponed. Mm. So, so ultimately, what we need to stand for at this point in the, in the United States and around the world is that everyone has a voice and that, um, that people can think and express their beliefs and that we should not be too critical of, of people who have different beliefs than us. It, it, and, and I think part of this comes from the idea that, you know, this I'm offended idea. Oh my goodness, they said that and I'm offended. But ultimately the offense is, is our choice. We can choose to be offended by what they say or just say, you know what, isn't it great that we live in America and they can have their opinion and I can have mine. And I don't have to choose to be offended by what they say or what they do. It, that offense is also a choice, right? Exactly. And, and that is certainly a, a tenet of um, willful positivity, right? Because people are going to tell you things and say things that are offensive. That's, that's part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, people are going to do that. And, and when they do that, what we need to understand is that, you know, we don't have a monopoly on, you know, what should be said or what should not be said. Mm. And we should allow space for people to say things, even things that we deem are offensive, right? Mm-hmm. It is okay for people to speak. I I say it this way. I say it this way. Okay. Let me speak my nonsense and then tell me where there's no sense in it. (laughs) That's cool. I like that. (laughs) Right? Yeah. But if you don't do that, then you create a tension in people because they feel like they're being suppressed. And when you suppress anything, it's a scientific fact. The more confined and suppressed you make, the more pressure builds up. That's true. And eventually that pressure will not be able to hold 
in the vessel in which it's being contained, eventually it's going to explode and explosions are not pretty. Yeah. Well, we, right? we're, we're witnessing that right now, right? <laughs> exactly. Explosions are not pretty. And so what we need to do is allow people to speak their minds, even if what they say may be offensive to us. And then we should engage in that conversation without any malice towards the person. One mantra that I've, I've adopted over the years is I have said to people, uh, so I was a consultant, um, a business consultant for a long time. Uh-huh. And every time I would start a project, you know, I would be the person coming in and saying, hey, I'm going to help your business, you know, increase your revenues and do this, increase ROI. And I was so-called the expert in the room, right? Uh-huh. But I would always end my first meeting with clients by saying, I reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow than I was today. So if there is something that I learn that is new, that I did not know before, that will be better for your situation, I am not going to hold it back because I'm too proud to to say that I was wrong before. Mm. Okay, So I reserve the right to be smarter. And I, I also give that same right to anybody around me. So maybe today they may say something that is ignorant, but then through education, through positive engagement, I can help them understand so that tomorrow they say something that is more enlightened, that is more thoughtful. Mm. I believe I would rather live in that world than to not have anybody offend me because it is not that I am not offended. It just creates a a fake reality that is not authentic and therefore can never bring you the kind of happiness and fulfillment that you get from true authentic relationships with other people. Yeah. So truly this quest for authenticity in America today and probably around the world is best summed up by saying we need to learn to love and respect others enough to let them be authentic and give everyone the opportunity to get more education on on the situations around them and and if if you don't hear both sides of the story how will you be able to make your authentic choice, right? If exactly. you are only forced to listen to one side, then, then the choice becomes much harder to make. So it's good exactly. to get varying opinions out there and varying thoughts out there and listen. You know, I, maybe, that's, maybe that's the solution is to courageously speak your mind and then courageously listen. Exactly. And, and in, in this idea of choosing courage over comfort, um, a lot of times listening is very uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to have the courage to listen to the pain of others. So um, every now and then when I've spoken to people, they say, hey, well, just because you think you, you have not gone through some of these challenges, you think that that's the way for everybody else. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I do understand that there are real pain 
that people are going through. I, I do understand that there is, you know, real challenge in the world. There is real, you know, evil in the world. There's real racism in the world. I understand that and I do accept that idea. I also understand that in spite of those things existing, that I can choose personally to thrive in spite of them. Because if I suspend my success and tie the success to the elimination of racism, I would die before I get to that point. I know, because you can't change everybody else's mind, right? <laughs> exactly. And so why suspend your happiness? Why suspend your potential? Why suspend you know, what you truly are because you're waiting for an imaginary time when all these evils will be eliminated. The only time that will happen as a Christian for me is when the Savior comes. Yes. But before he does, I will thrive in spite of that evil. And I will choose positivity. I will choose to see the good in the world. And I will choose to inspire others to embrace that same positivity. So if you are someone out there and you feel like Alma doesn't get it, he just has a privileged life, you know, whatever. If that is the case and you feel that you are so trapped in this systemic issue that is holding you back, if you feel that way, I would say reach out to me because I want to fight that with you. If there is truly some systemic thing that is holding you back, I want to understand it better. And I want to join with you and fight with you courageously to remove those systemic injustices. I love that. That is my message. I don't want to, to belittle anybody's pain. I don't want to say it doesn't exist because it does. Yeah. But I believe that we can thrive in spite of it. And so if you feel like you are completely trapped and there's no way out, reach out to me. And I'm sure there's so many other people you can reach out to who are willing to stand and fight with you to remove whatever those obstacles are in your life. Oh, that's beautiful, Alma. So how do people get a hold of you, my friend? <laughs> Where do they find you? <laughs> See, I am lucky enough that I have a unique name enough that if you search for me online, pretty much I am the only person who will show up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my name is Alma, A-L-M-A. My last name is spelt O-H-E-N-E dash O-P-A-R-E. You can find me on, you know, all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you can also reach me on my website, which is Alma, A-L-M-A, Opare, O-P-A-R-E.com. I also have a podcast, which I'm, I'm starting up right now. And um, it is named appropriately, Willful Positivity. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> and... My goal with the podcast is to, is to explore this idea of embracing positivity as a virtue 
and using positivity as a tool that helps you overcome any challenges in your life. So I want to be a purveyor of positivity and I want other people to embrace willful positivity. So, you know, you can find my podcast on, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere podcasts are, are, are listed. And I love to hear from you. So reach out to me um, through my website or any of the social media platforms as well. Thank you, Alma. Isn't he just great? I, I just feel so blessed to have had Alma on today. Alma, thank you for sharing your story of an immigrant's perspective and the American dream. And I'm so proud of you for pursuing your dream and that you're still pursuing it. That that once you achieved one thing, you haven't slowed down. You've just kept going. And I think I have embraced how- discomfort, man. <laughs> I've embraced discontent, right? There's always a new problem to solve. And so, you know, the dream continues. And hopefully as we work together, we can solve the problems that are facing our world and our society today with willful positivity. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Alma. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode, so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode, you forget what were those great things. So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, Remember, God loves you.